fellow journeyers. Hey, listen, we're all on a journey through life, aren't we? And what an honor to welcome you as we take the next leg of our journey together. My name is Bill White, Senior Pastor of the Christ Journey Church in Miami, and I'm so honored to welcome you wherever you're making your connection with us, across the nation, around the world, and right there in uh, the comfort of your home or your office, wherever you're joining us today. I got to tell you, I'm really missing being together, but I'm looking forward to that day, and we know it's coming, even though it's not with us today. But thank you so much for being with us, and we're praying God's blessing upon you in this gathering digitally. Now, you know, my family and I love horseback riding. We do it most every family vacation. And one time, years ago, when Jess, our youngest, was about six or seven years old, um, we were out riding at a farm outside of Little Rock. And Jess was on, uh, on a tall, I mean tall, muscular, golden palomino named Goldie original, huh? And uh, uh, But Goldie was easily 12 to 15 times larger than Jess was at the time. And for some reason, Goldie startled. I mean, horses do that, and then just took off. I mean, she's racing back toward the barn. She's bounding ravines. She's jumping ditches. She had full gallop, and I'm watching this and just take off. Jess is in the saddle. I'm, I'm watching this happen, and she's bouncing across the, the field and holding on to Goldie's mane, or blonde mane, for dear life. And I take off after her, and as full speed, and I am uh, praying, and I'm hoping that Jess will not fall off, which she doesn't, until Goldie gets to the barn and then stops abruptly. And I arrive just in the moment that she falls off the saddle. I catch her, and you know what I do? Put her right back on. <laughs> Why? Well, that's the rule, right? When you fall off, you get right back on. And uh, you don't let fear, you don't let failure have you. You get back on. Well, Jess and I talked this last week about that very experience, and we were remembering it together, and she was remembering how scared she was at the time, and she said, Dad, I just didn't want to get back on, but now I'm so glad that I did. In fact, she said this, that moment, that get-back-on moment became the pivotal, vibrant, vivid moment of my childhood. And, uh, and she said remembering it has helped her face many scary times in her life. Disappointment, circumstance she couldn't control, things that, uh, that she wasn't expecting, and, and yet that vibrant, vivid moment, she says, will come back to mind, and then she'll get back on pivot, and keep going. Horses are beautiful. Such romantic creatures. I mean, was it Cowboy Will Rogers who said, the best thing for the inside of a man is the outside of a horse? I relate to that. But they can also be dangerous. They can bite you. They can step on you. They can buck and throw you. They can stampede and trample you. I mean, beautiful, but dangerous. It is no accident the Apostle John sees horses in the vision of the Revelation. Horses. First, as the seven seals are opened in chapter 6, and these are dangerous horses, that are carrying the four horsemen 
of the apocalypse. And then John sees horses again, chapter 19. After the seven bowls of God's wrath have been poured out and Babylon, the great prostitute, guilty of seducing so many, has fallen. Babylon here, the symbol of the world system in rebellion against God with its multiple idolatries of self-worship and now thrown down, never to be found again. But in chapter 19, he sees, John sees heaven open and he says, there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. That means utterly trustworthy. With justice, he judges and wages, wages war. His eyes are, are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He's the king of kings. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. Are there parts of you that nobody really knows? Listen, there are depths of Jesus yet to be discovered. He is dressed in a robe and dipped in blood. That robe is dipped in blood and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. That's the kind worn by temple priests. White riders on white horses. It's an army of priests. Jesus Christ has returned. What John is writing about is the most spectacular moment of victory in Scripture, the climax and consummation of all human history, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Did you know that one of every 25 verses in the New Testament speak about Jesus Christ's return to this world? Acts chapter 1 verse 11 is one of them. Jesus' followers are watching as he ascends into heaven and uh, messengers from God tell them, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking to the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go. Every gospel quotes Jesus promising his return. Jesus said that one day, this is Mark chapter 13, verse 26, everyone will see the Son of Man coming with, on the clouds with great power and glory. So I guess it's no surprise that with all that's going on in the world, that, um, that people would ask me about the signs of the end and the second coming of Christ. In this series, we're taking a look through John's eyes in his vision of the four horsemen of the apocalypse from the book of Revelation. Now, it's certainly not lost on me the number of recent movies, that uh, end-of-the-world movies that have themes about apocalyptic scenarios, the planet convulsing, evil, rejoicing, disaster looming over life as we know it. It seems ironic to me, but even goodhousekeeping.com Posted May 17th of this year, 20 best end-of-the-world movies. Goodhousekeeping.com, end-of-the-world movies. With 15 of them, they said, 15 made since year 2000. Now, that seemed a lot like a lot to me until I looked up Wikipedia on it, and they list 168 
feature-length films about the end of the world with over 100 of them made in the last 10 years. Including one where the world is taken over by a viral infection. So it's obviously on people's minds. There's even a new genre of fiction called zombie apocalypse. You heard of this? In which civilization collapses as swarms of the undead overwhelm social structures, including law enforcement and military. As I was visiting with Jessica about Goldie, (laughs) I told her that I was preparing a message series on the four horses of the apocalypse. She said, well, you know, I, stay, I pretty much stay away from the book of Revelation. Um, it's confusing, and it makes me think of zombie apocalypse. And so when she said that, I had to look it up. You know, that's where I got that. Maybe you've avoided Revelation for similar reasons. It is confusing, and it is full of bizarre, even violent imagery. A dragon with seven heads, a cosmic battle in the heavens, Beasts, living creatures covered with eyes. You know, what is that? And so much of what is in the book of Revelation is not intended to be taken literally, but figuratively as metaphor. So I need to tell you at the outset of this series that this is not going to be a series offering detailed explanation of every symbol uh, that you find in the book of Revelation. We will cover many of them, and I'm going to try to uh, show the connection of the four horsemen with Jesus' teaching about the signs of the end and of his second coming, as he taught in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. If you're wanting to read some of the passages where Jesus taught about his second coming and the end of the age, there they are Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. And I'm also going to include some of the, uh, the Spirit-inspired insights from the Apostle Paul and Peter. But I also want you to know that I'm not going to be using the Bible like a kind of crystal ball uh, and try to connect the dots between current events in the news and verses in the Bible, trying to show you that we're living in the end times. Now, I believe that we are living in what the Bible calls the last days, and perhaps the last seconds of the last days. I believe that Jesus and the New Testament give us signs that we're supposed to watch for. What I'm saying is, uh, this series is not about me trying to prove to you which events are matching what prophetic verses in the Bible. And to that end, I will not be offering you a date for uh, the rapture or for the second coming of Christ. Many teachers have done that through the years, and you know what? They've all been wrong. I guess the only good news there is that the people of God have not been practicing the law of Deuteronomy 18.20, which says that all prophets shown to be false are to be put to death. But Christ-honoring teachers know this. Jesus said, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father, Matthew 24, 36. So we don't know the day. We don't know the hour. What we do know from the four horsemen is that before the Lord comes to set things right 
we will continue to experience a world gone wrong. Now, there's a divergence of opinion among Bible scholars as to how much and how long believers will have to experience the world gone wrong. But every one of them affirm what Jesus said in John 16, 33. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And no, I did not just say that we are in the great tribulation. (laughs) What I said is that Jesus taught and repeatedly told his disciples that this world would be full of troubles. It's not an easy place. It's a hard place. And it's going to get harder before his second coming, like birth pains coming onto a woman in labor, Matthew 24, verse 8. I believe the four horsemen are the first symbols out of the gate. Reminding us of the world that has gone wrong and what we face in it. Revelation chapter 6. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. And then I heard one of the four living creatures saying in a voice like thunder, Come! I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And another horse came out, a fiery red one, and its rider was given peace given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other, and to him was given a large sword. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there was before me a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand, and then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quarter of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and don't damage the oil and wine. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! I looked, and there before me was a pale horse, its rider named Death, and Hades was following close behind. And they were given power over one quarter of the earth to kill by sword, famine, plague, and by wild beasts of the earth. Revelation chapter 6. Verses 1 through 8, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, the word apocalypse means unveiling. It's like a revealing. Something here is being unveiled. And once again, in what seems like irony to us, Revelation chapter 4 and 5 just 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 happened right before we opened this chapter. We've just been in the throne room of heaven experiencing the glorious worship of the Lamb. Oh my goodness, you got to read this. And the, ch- the chapter 5 literally closes with the four living creatures saying, Amen, Amen, as every creature under heaven and earth and under the earth on the sea. Think of it, every creature, every creature on earth, in heaven, under the... Every creature singing praise, glory, power, honor to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That sounds like a victory party, doesn't it? 
And then we turn the page, only to find the world's in a mess. <laughs> What's happened? The four horsemen symbolizing the disasters unleashed in the world across history because of the sin and rebellion of humanity against God. It's an unveiling of the consequences of human sin. Now, the story told in the book of Revelation unveils three seven-part judgments that take place on the earth. The first one is called the seven seals, chapter 6, the seven trumpets, chapters 8 and 9, and the seven bowls, chapter 16. And each of them have recurring themes, but increasing intensity. And these horsemen show us first, the first identifying the reality of what we call the real world. The first unveiling of judgment rolling in what we call the real world. You ever said that? Oh, in the real world. Yeah, this is the reality that has been loosed in the real world. Answers this question. Why is the world so messed up? If Jesus is on the throne, this is a logical question, then why is the world still going wrong? Now, for the sake of time, I'll get right to the reason. First, because of the abuse of human freedom in sin that has set in motion a series of events that from ancient time till tomorrow's news show what a world without God will do to itself. We're seeing that before our eyes. Now, we'll unpack more about that next week, but the evil that humans inflict upon each other and the consequences that they bring into our reality, what we call history, are characterized in four patterns that we see here. Conquest, violence, oppression, and death. The four horses, white, red, black, and pale. Now, Scripture shows us time and again that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. John is just showing us the same thing. Death, the pale horse, travels in the company of idolatries that are common to human beings. So these riders of consequence that we are meeting here, we put them in the saddle by our choices. And now the consequences are riding. Humans do this, don't we? I mean, we, uh, we exalt the conquering spirit, the worship of power. We believe that the way for us to win is by making somebody else lose. The more pedestrian version of that might be called bullying. But Jesus, I mean, that means I lift me up by putting you down. Jesus spoke of the fact that this happens on an international scale globally. There will be wars, rumors of war. Nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Now, of course, whatever nation you're from, you tend to see your conquering hero in the white hat on the white horse. Coming to save through what? Through power. I believe that's what we're supposed to see here. Pride. Pride likes to argue from the moral high ground that might makes right the white horse. And though he's on the white horse, this rider is not what he appears to be. The moral high ground he rides for is self-promotion, hubris, 
arrogance, pride. The white horse, unleashed in culture every time we mount up to go uh, imagine ourselves as the one wearing the white hat. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. And so, armed in this way, every would-be king of the world mounts up to ride out to conquer, including the ultimate antichrist. The red horse is next. What's that? Color of blood. Shed blood, spilled blood. We want blood. This is very human, isn't it? Blood for blood is what we want. Now, we don't say it that way. Somebody said, you know, to err is human, to blame the other guy is even more human. That's part of what we're seeing here, a reason to get some blood. We want blood for blood. We don't say that, but we say, oh, we just want what's fair. And so we demand justice, and yet humans tend toward the worship of retribution more than justice. More about that horse next week. The black horse is next. Economic disaster and injustice and oppression. How human is it to design to get our fill, even if it means others go without? This is the worship of money, the idolatry of more. How much do you need? Well, more, regardless of how much you have or don't have. So if you've ever wanted to be free from the monster of materialism in your life, then this message will come in two weeks. But today, today, first horse, and what we see are pride, Anger born of fear and greed as the lead horses in the parade of death. Welcome to human history. And welcome to the signs of the end. Have you ever heard this? History repeats itself. You ever wonder why that is? Well, the Bible's answer is because human nature is constant. Unless there's a change in the human heart, we're just going to keep on doing what we do. And we've been doing it for a long time. And guess what? As the end draws near, we're going to do it even more. The horses. But why does God just let it go on? I mean, why doesn't he close the books? Consider four observations. Number one, it's an expose. God is making clear his case like a good lawyer so that everyone's going to see how bad the situation actually is, letting the evidence pile up to prove beyond doubt that evil is real. This is not just a construct of the mind. It doesn't just fix itself, and it deserves judgment. Reason number two, this is a deep drill down so that true healing can happen. You know, I recently, uh, and not just a superficial one, I recently had a root canal, <laughs> not a happy day, but it was a root canal on a tooth that already had a root canal done years before. That's even less happy, isn't it? So some fresh pain led my dentist to investigate with the most recent current technology and discovered that there was actually another root in the tooth that needed tending. Prior observation had been superficial to that depth level. Remedy would already come, would only come with a deep reveal of the true root cause. You know, it's the same with us. We humans tend to make surface observations, but God wants to go all the way deep so that true healing can come, and that takes time. Reason three, 
It's an invitation to face reality. We talked earlier about the real world. This is God's divine intervention to help us overcome our denial, to face our addiction to self, and then let God free us from sin if we will. Now, my dentist, actually, I was sitting in the chair, and she showed me this high-tech 3D image from every possible angle to make sure that I was able to see the tooth, top, bottom, around, side, in the middle, everything, so that I would finally say, you know, that's a, that's a problem. That's a problem. And painkillers are not going to make it go away. Sometimes we humans settle for uh, getting rid of the pain instead of going to the root. We want pleasure. So you know what we do. We avoid. We go online. We go shopping. We binge watch. Um, Instead of facing reality and seeking God's cure, we self-medicate, which brings us to reason four. Peter says one of the reasons God is letting these consequences continue to trample through our world is because He is patient with you not wanting any to perish, but every one to come to repentance. Second Peter 3.9. It's an opportunity to turn to Christ before it's too late. Now maybe you say, hey, I don't need to repent. Well, then I got to tell you, that's why God is waiting. To give you the chance to see that you are part of the every one that he wants to come to repentance. That simply means a change of heart. Repentance is a change of heart. Now, we see ourselves as the exception to that, don't we? You know, we say, uh, we think of everyone as everyone. It means everyone else, not me. I'm on the white horse. So God invites us to take another look and then to consider the horsemen that have already been released and are stampeding and and ravaging lives. God is giving us that chance to look again at a world gone wrong. And then, don't just ask questions, but take next steps with Him toward making things right. Now, if that's our now, if that's true about where we are, then what is our how? How do we hold on in this killer world? John wants us to know. We'll see more later, but here's what I would offer you today. First, remember what's important, not the idolatries of this world, but the values of God's kingdom and the people that He loves and that we love, the people in your life. We love God. We love one another. Number two, refuse to play the victim. Don't let fear, discouragement, or bitterness have you. The joy of the Lord is your strength, even in the midst of circumstances that are challenging. So don't let bitterness have you. Third, refresh your connections regularly. Refresh, let go of grief, and take hold of hope. Don't repress your feelings, but Refresh them by talking them out with loved ones. This is what group ministry is about. Emotional health happens in community. So refresh your connections in community. And then rely on Christ. 
He's the writer that is faithful and true. He's the utterly trustworthy one. He's the one who won't let you down. He will not misrepresent. He will not manipulate. He will take you through to the day of victory. Tragedy is inevitable in this world. But Jesus Christ is our rock, our shelter, our Savior. Rely on Him even in your darkest hour. And then always and finally, repent. That means turn. Turn from self to God and let Him have His way. Every day, Lord, I turn from my way and I'm learning to go Your way. Lead me in the Christ journey, I pray in Your name. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for the victory that is ours in you because of your shed blood on the cross, your rising from the dead, that now from the point of victory you are seeking to take us through to a better day. I'm praying right now for people who may have seen more than they expected in this vision from John. And we ask that you would guide them to truth that could set them free. If that's you, friend, would you just say right now, Lord, I'm turning from my way to learn to go your way. Lead me. Have your way in me. If you're new to the Christian faith, you've been checking it out, but know that you want Jesus to be your Savior, to begin a personal relationship with you so that when that day comes, whatever day it is, you know you will be with Him. Then it's the similar prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive my sins. Come into my life. I receive the gift of salvation that you offered me from the cross, from an empty grave, and now I invite your Spirit to empower me as I turn from my way and learn to go your way. And may God bless you in that decision today as we make this prayer in his name. Amen.